Well, it's been an interesting week, and it's been an interesting three weeks, because we've talked about practice, and now we're kind of rounding up. And it's at this time as a coach where not only do your players get excited, but also your coaches do. Because one of my favorite times of the year is really in August. And August is called kind of the dog days of summer. It's very hot. The temperatures are going to range anywhere between 85 to 100 degrees. We start and we go into camp because now, if you will, practice is not, is no longer voluntary, but it's a mandatory thing. And so I really love it because, man, I love the heat and the nostalgia. You smell the grass and, and all the stuff, and it's, I just think it's great. I come out my long sleeves because even when it's 100, I'm like, man, this is not heat. It's not hot, right? Because I was born and raised down south, so it's just different. Down south, the heat is a, it's a little bit more humid. It takes your breath away sometimes. But it's also just trying to help our young men to understand that, man, no, it's not. It's okay. It's all right. We still got to, you know, I'm still going to expect 110 out of you, even though the, the temp might be 110. It'll be all right. We'll give you more water. But after a while, the grind of camp and the grind of practice takes the toll on everybody, even pastor coach. So much so that the players, they're tired of going up against each other, right? You've practiced so much, your competition has become not only yourself, but it's become your teammates. Whether it's you're competing for a position or you're just competing that day just to be the guy that has um, the opportunity to talk a little smack during times of lunch or dinner. But not only has it become taxing for the players, it becomes taxing for coaches. Because, see, the coaches get tired of seeing the players going up against each other. You're saying the same things over and over, and it's just like, man, you get to the point of like, man, when are we going to go actually go against someone else? And so you tell your players that, oh, man, we got a scrimmage coming up. Everybody's excited. But then there's week one. There's an actual week that you're going to play a game, and all this practice that you've been doing, now it comes to a head. And so I think it's no different from us. The more that our young men and the more that we as believers invest or make an investment in the practice, I don't know about you, but I want to see a return on my investment. And I actually tell my players that. I want to see a return, and they should want to see a return in all the time and energy that they've invested into practice. Because over time, what we've practiced now has to be executed. It has to be. Because, see, that's the measurement that we have not only for ourselves as coaches, but also what the players have of themselves. But I think it's no different for us as believers. I've practiced, I've, I've done the fasting and the prayer, I've done the repentance and the forgiveness. Man, I, you know, have I been able to execute this? But we need to talk about what it is that we really want to execute when we look at the game plan for us as believers. We know that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but what does that actually mean? 
And so the one thing that we do anytime that we go out before a game is we pray. And during this, we're going to probably pray a lot. And there's a specific prayer that we pray. And it's something that all of our young men know. And it's the Lord's Prayer. They all know it. They all say it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the power, the power. We say that three times and it just elevates. It's really, really, man, it gives me goosebumps now thinking about it. And the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's the last thing we do before we go out. Then after the game, we'll come back and we'll pray again because we said no matter where we fell out today, man, we're going to give honor and glory to God, man, because he's given us the wherewithal to go and compete and to play. Now, when we look at this prayer, it's important for us to understand what's happening and what's being said here by Jesus. We know that this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and man, Jesus, man, really just, man, taught and preached this so well. The first thing that Jesus does when we come to the Lord's Prayer is he gives God reverence and honor. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Time out. We got to talk about that. We got we we to start breaking this down. What does that really mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, let's break this down in two parts of saying, what is God's will? What is God's will? The Greek word for God's will is theomom, theo, the, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen, but it's all right. Praise God. Thelema, thelema. That's the Greek pronunciation of his will. And it breaks it down in two forms or two ways. So it's defined by what one wishes or determines shall be. What one wishes or determines shall be. And so there are, if you will, two characters in this, in God's will. The first one is of the purpose of God to bless mankind through Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and bringing us back into relationship with God the Father. Yea, yea, Jesus. The second part of his will is this, of what God wishes to be done by us based on his commands and his precepts. Who is the us? The body of Christ, me and you. Because see, now he's rounding out his team, which is a team of believers. So it's the things that he wishes or determines to be done by us based on his commands and his precepts. 
And he gives us two that we can hang all the law on. To love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when we talk about and we pray and we say, God, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is God's will and what is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is wherever his will is being done. That's where you will find God's kingdom. Wherever his will is being done. That may be in your home, that may be at your job, that may be in a relationship, but wherever you see his will being done, there lies his kingdom. And he tells us what his will is. He breaks it down for us. So why should we practice and why should we develop a practice plan? Because we need to be able to execute God's will. We need to be able to execute God's will. Our ability as a football program to be able to execute the plays that we run is paramount for us. Not from a standpoint of winning and losing, but from a standpoint of maybe discovering the possibilities of what could happen if we do those things. We may not win, but maybe the game is a little bit closer. Maybe our kids compete at a different type of level. But everything that we're doing in the summer and, and, and now, even now in the winter, when we're in the weight room and we're lifting weight and we're practicing things, it's all leading up to when them lights cut on. See, when those lights cut on, whoo, it's, it's the separation of the wheat and the shaft, those who worked, those who did the things that they needed to do, and those that didn't. It's no different from us. See, in our walk to serve him, there's going to be when the lights cut on moment for us. The lights are going to shine. They're going to cut on. We're going to be in a situation where, man, we're going to be called to execute his will. And man, we're either going to do that or we're going to fall back into our flesh. The time we invest into into the practice plan with fasting and prayer, repentance and forgiveness, these tools help us to execute when we face tests, trials, and temptations. So we have to look at this part of the Lord's Prayer as well. Because it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So does God tempt us? Like, is that what God is doing here? He's tempting us. And, and this is why Jesus said, hey, man, lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. We can answer this question based on his word and what he says to us. In James 1 and 13, it says this. When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
That's not him. It's not in him. There's no evil found in him, so he can't tempt us. However, that doesn't mean that he won't test us. That we won't be tried. And see, this is why we have to be prepared through practice. Because see, tests and trials are going to come. And through that, we're going to have to execute his will, even in the test and the trials. Here's what I've learned. This is why tests and trials come. Am I really ready to execute being a son of God in that moment? When all the world is against me, when all the world is telling me, hey, you should do this. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why are you thinking about that? See, I got to stand on something. And here's what I don't want to stand on. I don't want to stand on Kemp. (laughs) Kemp is a little flaky. Kemp's a little fearful. Kemp will shudder a little bit at any type of form of wind or waves. See, there's a passage in Scripture that says, the person who built their house on a rock and the person that built their house on sand. See, if I build my house on Kemp, it's sand. When the storm and the waves come, it's going to blow me away. And I'm going to fall victim to anything. So he doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. How do we know this? Let's go to Matthew 4. At the very beginning, or maybe is at the end, it talks about how Jesus was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. So, Let's go back for a second. He doesn't tempt us, but he tests us. And through the testing, we will be tempted by whom? By the evil one. By Satan. So he directs us into this. You're like, wait a minute. But that's what every good coach does. I'm not here to make it easy for my players. I'm here to put them in hard situations so when these things happen in the game, they know how to respond to them. They know how to respond to them. See, we can talk about being resilient all day long, but if I don't intentionally in practice put you in situations to where you have to learn how to be resilient, you're not going to know how to do that when, when the lights cut on. It's just something good that I say. So how do we practice this? Well, I'm still past the coach. Y'all love me now, right? Sometimes the way I do it is, man, a young man's getting up, man, it's after a play, I knock him back down. I just knock him back down, you know, I... They're trying to get up. You know, it's hot. They're trying to get up off, and I just come up, and I just knee them and knock them back down. I keep walking. Why am I doing that? 
It's going to happen in the game, right? See, I got to make sure that their reaction, when that happens to them from an opponent, they don't get them like, hey, man, what you doing to me? Where are And then the ref goes, woo, he throws that flag so high. And it comes down, and it's a personal foul penalty, and it's 15 yards, and no matter how you're doing and how the drive is going, that affects you. It affects you not only physically, but it affects you mentally. And so what I've realized and what I've learned is I have to get my young men mentally prepared to play. We worry so much about the physical, right? Are they strong? Are they fast? Can they jump high? Can they catch? Can they throw? Can they block? Here's the bottom line, though. If they're not ready to mentally engage, that'll lose you a ball game. Not only will it lose you a ball game, but it'll lose you respect. Respect. You'll lose it. It'll be gone. No different than us in the body of Christ. All the time, there are people there. The enemy is roaming around, as they say, like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And he's all going to try to devour us in different ways because we all have different hangups. We all have different ways that I think God is moving us to test us, right? Because he wants to refine and transform us. No different than what I want to do with my young men. And so he has to take us sometimes to places that you're like, wait a minute. But see, God is so faithful. And we know this when we read what? When we read 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, it actually says that he's faithful. And we'll prove his faithfulness, but let's read this first. It says, no temptations that come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape or a way out. So that you will be able to bear it. God is good. God is so good. So we're going to case study this in action. We're going to case study this in action. Let's look at good old Job. Man. God, look look at this headline. This is what God is saying. Look at this headline. Job is faithful, God-fearing man who has great wealth and a large family. It actually breaks down in Job chapter 1 all the stuff that Job has. He reads his resume. All the stuff. And wouldn't you know it, when things are going really well, there are people and a particular individual who don't like that. They don't like it. So God is having this heavenly council with his angels and our adversary walks in. And at this time, God hasn't yet separated Satan from him, so he still allows him in his presence. What a good God we serve. Amen? And so when we go over to Job, this is just really fascinating to me. 
And like all this stuff is going to like you may feel like this sometimes. But I can honestly say it didn't hit me like this. I felt like this, but it, all the stuff didn't hit me the way it hit Job. So it goes on to say who Job is and his estate, and he has 7,000 sheep and goats and 3,000 camels and, you know, 500 yokes of oxen and 500 female donkeys, and he has a very large number of servants, and Job is the greatest man among the people in the east. He has seven sons and three daughters, a total of 10 children. Man, you talk about wealth. It's extensive and vast. Verse 6, one day the sons of God came to present, present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Debbie? Have you considered my servant Brian? Have you considered my servant Megan? Have you considered my servant Jessica? Have you considered my servant Jay? Now, if, if your name is one of those names, we praying for you extra, amen? Glory to God. The God of the universe says, have you considered my servant, Job? Now, just for a moment, I want to go into some of what a coach or a leader may do. Sometimes... Through the media, coaches can goat the other team just a little bit. You know, give them what they call bulletin board material. This is bulletin board material. Why? Because before this point, Satan was the angel. He was the guy. First round draft pick. But he got a little bit too big for his britches. He, he, he no longer wanted to worship God, but he wanted to be worshiped. So God right here in this question is kind of sticking him a little bit. Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. Man, okay, God, I see where you're going. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil like you, Satan. Satan answered the Lord and says, does Joe fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him and his household and everything that he owns? Satan goes on to say, hey, if you remove all that stuff, because he's only with you because you've blessed him. It's not because he really loves you. He 
He goes on to say, stretch out your hand and strike everything he owes and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan, everything he owes owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. And Satan left Jesus' presence. Let's talk about something. Make no mistake about it who's in control here. Make no mistake about it. It doesn't matter who Satan thinks he is. God still said, hey, here's what you can and can't do. Here's what you can and can't do. Amen. And if he did it for Job, guess what? He's doing it for us, too. So here's what you can and can't do. But see, God leads us, right? Come on now. He leads us to be tested and tried. In that testing and trial, we will be tempted. What will we be tempted to do? To disobey? We'll be tempted to say no. We'll be tempted to curse God. We'll be tempted to fall away. We will be tempted. Was not Jesus tempted? Did he not tempt Jesus three times? Matter of fact, the word of God says in Luke 4 that Jesus was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. But he was led out to the wilderness by the spirit of God. Tests and trials are going to come, brothers and sisters. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested, trod, or tempted beyond what you can bear. Amen? So what did Job have to bear? I don't know what it's titled in your Bible, but in in mine it says... Job's first test. So Satan wanted to get Job where it was going to hurt, where at least he thought it was going to hurt in his possessions, in his family. We're going to take it all. We're going to get it all. We're going to all of it's going to be gone. So Satan first takes everything from Job, his wealth, his estate even his sons and his daughters. And it goes on to say that Job still praised God. Job still praised God. So Satan comes back to God and God runs the same thing. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming throughout the heavens and the earth and walking around it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Not one time, but twice. No one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him. To destroy him for no good reason. This is God. Satan's response, skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. 
Stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones, and he will surely curse you. Satan is really good at what he does. He's the best at it. And what we see with Jesus and what we see with Job is he just is not going to come at you once. He's going to come at you several different times through several different ways. You might even be experiencing that this morning. Well, maybe he attacks you in your marriage. Maybe he attacks you with things on your job. Maybe he attacks you in your finances. Maybe he attacks you in other relationships. Maybe he attacks you um, internally to where now there's self-doubt going on where you're like second-guessing and questioning yourself, your call, your gifting, and your talent. Jesus goes on to say, God goes on to say again, excuse me, Very well, the Lord told Satan, he is in your power, only spare his life. So as a result, Job's body is affected with painful boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. to the top of his head, to the soles of his feet. He's taken all of his material, his children, his wealth, his livestock. That wasn't good enough because Job still praised God. Satan comes back and says, hey man, give me, give me, give me him. Job's wife contends that Job is proud, suggesting curse God and die. Job did not sin with his lips, but again, in Job 2 and 9, his wife said to him, are you maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. See, there's a theme here. With the test and the trials, what is God looking to develop in us? What is God looking for us to maintain? It's the godly characteristic of integrity. It's integrity. And that's the time and the thing that in our time and that we're living in society right now is trying to strip and take away from us is our integrity, our word, who we are. And all the things that we've talked about the past two weeks is helping to develop our integrity. See, when I go before God and I, and I, and I make a commitment to fast, there's a, there's a certain thing I want to fast for. I want to have integrity. I want to be committed to finishing that thing to what I said I was going to do before God. When I talk about repentance and forgiveness and I talk about, man, I, I need to repent when this happens. Well, man, that's an act of integrity to say, hey, you know what, man, I need to get this right before God. But not only before God, I need to go get it right with my wife. I need to go get it right with my brother, my sister, whomever it may be. I need to go get this right. I need to operate and to function in integrity. Because, see, when I can function in integrity, guess what I'm doing? I'm allowing his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
which establishes his kingdom. His kingdom is built. One of the characteristics is it's built on integrity. Anywhere where his will is being done is his kingdom. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be safe, but it's going to be necessary. Ben, come on back up. God's goal for Job was to purify and to sanctify him, not to take him out. That was his goal. It wasn't to take him out. God knew what Job could bear. He knew it. Why? Because he's faithful. He knows his children. That's why he was able to say, oh, yeah, man, go ahead and do that. But there's no one on earth like him. I had to think that frustrated the enemy. See, sometimes when you don't respond to the enemy, or I tell my players, when you don't respond to your opponents doing what they're doing to you, you don't respond to that, they get frustrated. They lose their composure. They lose who they are and what they're doing. And see, that's what happens to the enemy. See, it happened when he tested Jesus, and it happened when he tested Job. There's a frustration because why? What he's trying to do more and more and more, he's trying to gather enough for his army and for his team. And when we don't buy in, and when we don't lose heart, and when we stay committed and we stay faithful, we'll be ready when the lights cut on. We'll be ready when it's game time. We'll be ready when the tests and the trials happen that could somehow and sometimes move us to be tempted. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to break open the word of life. And as we break open your word, Father God, you lead us now into worship. And there are things, Father God, that we might have come in with that we may feel like we're getting tested in and trialed about that may be leading us. We ask you right now, Father, even through our time of worship, that you minister, continue to minister to us that we may submit these things to you. That you are a loving, loving father and we know that. And you are faithful. Continue to refine us through these tests and trials. And lead us not into temptation that we may be tempted, but deliver us from the evil one. Keep our hearts and our minds and our spirits fixed upon you. Steady them right now, Father God, as we go into worship. In Jesus' name.